Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. Awesome. Well, hey, good morning, New Covenant. How's everyone doing today? Doing all right? Hope everyone had a very merry uh, Christmas. Um, for those of you who do not know me, my name is Chris Rowland. I am the youth pastor here at New Covenant. Um, just a little bit myself. I stepped into this role about two and a half years ago, and it's been the greatest joy of my life uh, being able to be the youth pastor of this church, to be able to invest in the next generation and teach them about Christ. I absolutely love, love what I get to do each and every single week. Uh, <laughs> I love you, Larry. Um, a lot has changed uh, since coming onto staff in 2021 in my personal life. Last year, July of 2022, I married the most amazing woman. Her name is Phoebe. Uh, many of you in here um, know her. Um, Phoebe and I, we uh, bought our first home this year, which was super exciting. And earlier this year, uh, we were surprised and excited to find out that she was pregnant with our first child. Um, yes, yes, it was, it was amazing. It was a very exciting time. And on December 11th at 1.40 a.m., she gave birth to our baby boy, our little son, our first child. Here's a picture um, of our family at Christmas. Um, this is Forrest Emerson Rowland. And my wife and I, we are just over the moon about this little guy. He's so cute and amazing, and we just love him, and we're just so excited uh, about him, and we're so blessed um, to be a part of this church. We're, we're so blessed to be a part of this church and to raise this uh, such a little guy in, in such an amazing uh, community. And so we just want to say thank you so much for all your love, support, prayers over the past couple of months. We really, really um, appreciate you guys. Uh, but the reason I'm up here today it's because today is a very special day. Uh, Pastor Dave, it is his birthday. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if he wanted me to say that, but, you know, just make sure to go and wish him a happy birthday. Give him lots of hugs. Everyone give him a hug. I'm sure he would love and appreciate that. But just show him how much, uh, how thankful we are for him to be our pastor, our brother, and our friend. And so we love you, Pastor Dave. Hope you have a fantastic birthday. Um, but I just want to say that it is an honor and privilege to be up here and with all of you here this morning. Uh, there's nothing better than um, gathering together with God's people where we fellowship, where we worship, and where we get to hear the word of God. And my hope and prayer for this morning is that this won't just be information, but this will be transformation, right? That, that we will leave this uh, room better than when we walked in. Why? Because we have spent time with Christ because we worshiped him and praised him and we got to hear the word of God. And so before we go any further, let me open us in some prayer and then we'll get going. So Lord, we thank you so much, God, for who you are. We thank you that you are a God who we can trust, a God who is always faithful. And Lord, as we read your word, as the word is proclaimed, God, I ask that lives would be transformed, that lives would be changed. We ask that you have your way in the service. And so we thank you, Jesus. We thank you for this time. And everyone said, amen. amen. 
So human history is divided into two eras. We have B.C. and we have A.D. B.C. Uh, stands before Christ, and A.D. is the abbreviation of the Latin phrase Anno Domini. And these are used for the dates after, uh, uh, after the birth of Jesus. Now, non-Christian historians and archaeologists, uh, they have started using the terms B.C.E., which is before Common Era, and C.E., which is Common Era. Uh, but these terms, they do not change the fact that history, it is classified by what happened before Christ came into the world and what happened afterwards. And so is the story of every Christian. There is what you were before Christ, and there is what you have become since you have met Christ. And if you are what you have always been, then you're not a Christian, right? Because your AD, it should not be the same as your BC. There is a transformation. There is a change that happens in one's life. Now, the two parts of your story, they may closely resemble when you were first converted to Jesus, but the longer you are a Christian, the more evidence there should be of a transformed life. You see, born-again people, they grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ, and if you are a believer, you've trusted him, it will show how you live your life here on earth. Born-again people, they are to be fully committed to Jesus. This is essentially the message of Romans 12, 1 and 2, and this is where we're going to be camping out this morning. And what we're going to see is how the Apostle Paul, he provides this theological framework for what it means to commit your all to Jesus. Let me read this uh, passage of Scripture, Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed by this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Um, there's this cartoon by Ed Fisher that I read about earlier this week, and it pictured a huge altar with many steps leading to the top, such as you would see in the ruins of ancient Mayan culture in Central America. At the top, a priest, he holds a sword ready to slaughter the next victim. There's two guards, and they are dragging up a very uh, resistant young man up the stairs to be the next sacrifice. And watching the young man resist, a man who looks like the chief, he comments to the guy standing next to him, the young people don't seem to believe in anything these days. And maybe this is what comes to your mind when you think about these words in Romans, to give your body as a living sacrifice to God. Some of us in here this morning, we might be thinking, why on earth would anyone want to do such a thing? I can maybe see giving God an hour or two on Sunday as long as there's no football. Or if maybe you have some extra time, some free time, you can volunteer to serve on Sunday or during the weeks. I can maybe see giving 10% of my income as long as my bills and taxes are paid. I can maybe see jumping into a small group if I don't have anything better to do. But offering my body to God, that sounds radical, right? Why would someone want to do that? You see, most people... They do not come into a worship service prepared to give our whole selves to Jesus. We brought sins in that need to be confessed and cleansed uh, before we leave. We brought questions that need answers and problems that need solutions. We brought burdens that need uh, to be lifted and anxieties that need to be dispelled and frustrations and depression and, and boredom and preoccupations and all kinds of different distractions. 
For most of us, it would be easier to just take out our checkbook, double the offering, put it in the back wooden boxes than it would be to fully give ourselves to God. But that is exactly what Paul is calling us as believers to do in our text. You see, these two verses, they are a call to, uh, to commitment, a commitment to be worked out by a whole new way of thinking and behaving. And I want to encourage you this morning to really listen to these words in Romans, but more importantly, be obedient to them. So Romans 12.1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So this verse, it begins a major new section of Romans. Chapters 1 through 11, they really hone in on doctrine, and 12 through 16 focus more on practical matters. So Paul, for the first 11 chapters, he used them to teach us what God has given believers through his mercy and grace poured out on us through Christ. And chapter 12 through the end of the book is where Paul's doctrine it becomes more practical. He shows us in these remaining chapters how we are to live as redeemed children of God and how our lives are to give glory uh, to God in all that we think, all we say, and all we do. And so as we begin this chapter this morning, what we're going to find is that we as believers were called to live a life of sacrifice, live a life of surrender. Now, for most of us in here, we're, we're very familiar with this passage in Romans. We've read this. We've heard it being preached. Maybe some of us uh, made this our life verse. But what this text, the text is telling us is that the Christian life, it is primarily an act of worship where we are to give ourselves fully to God. We are to give ourselves as a living sacrifice. So in other words, your response to what God has done for you, it is to give God a spiritual offering, specifically yourself. You see, this is about worship, and worship is all about giving ourselves to God. In John chapter 4, we see that Jesus, God, he, he uh, seeks true worshipers who worship him in spirit and truth. In Philippians 3, it says that we are worshipers of Christ. We worship Jesus and in 1 Peter, it tells us that we are priests bringing sacrifices to God. So if we are to view the Christian life clearly, it is to view the Christian as a priest giving offerings to God. Now, the language that is used here with a living and holy sacrifice, this is priestly, it's sacrificial, this is Levitical language. This takes us back to the Old Testament, the sacrificial system where we would see a priest come and he would put an offering on the altar and it would be slain. The priest, they would offer dead sacrifices, not living ones. They were offering dead sacrifices that pictured the sacrifice of Christ in death, ultimately paying the penalty for our sin. Now, I need to be clear, we're, we're, today we're not called to offer dead sacrifices, right? That system, it is gone. It was dismissed when Jesus, he died on the cross and the veil on the temple was torn. So that system, it's gone. It is done away with. And now there is a new kind of sacrifice in this new covenant, and that is a living sacrifice. It's not an animal sacrifice, but it's you and it's me. We are to place ourselves on the altar before God as an offering to him. You see, God, he wants living sacrifices where his people live in joyful surrender to him, where we find our pleasure only in him instead of the worldly pursuits. And something that we need to understand about the Christian life is it is not about what we can get from God. Uh, because you have already received everything you need in your salvation, but it's actually all about what we give to God. And sacrifices, they have always been this way with God. 
He wasn't satisfied with a dead sacrifice from the Old Testament from a sinful heart. We read in 1 Samuel, to obey is better than sacrifice. So sacrifices, it had its place. It was a picture of the sacrifice of Christ to come, but God, he didn't accept sacrifices that came from sinful hearts. We see this in Amos where, where he says, stop your song, stop your offerings. I will not accept them because your hearts aren't right. So we see that it wasn't the animal sacrifices that satisfied him. They symbolize a sacrifice that would satisfy him, but even then, it was a heart given to him that fully satisfied him. In Psalm 141, verse 2, May my prayer be counted as incense before you, the lifting up of my hands as the evening offering. Here, the psalmist, he is saying, May my praise and my desire to worship you uh, from the heart be equal to my sacrifice. And with God, it has always been that he wanted the heart and then the obedience and the sacrifice as evidence of a heart that was fully given to him. And so the sacrifice that is living, that is acceptable and pleasing to God incorporates three things. The soul, the body, and the mind. So the first thing that we see here in our text is Paul, he's talking to people who have already committed their soul to God. And when I say soul, I'm, uh, I mean the inner person. And by that, we're talking about salvation, right? It's implied here. In verse 1, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. So this indicates that he is writing to people who have already given their souls to God. Jesus says in Matthew 16, 26, What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? You see, the truth is you cannot please God in any way if you do not fully give yourself to him. If you do not commit your soul to him. It is the, that is the foundation of the sacrifice. It all starts with the soul. And I want to take a moment to expand on the language here in the first verse. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. So anytime we come across this word, therefore, we know that it's a, a transition to what has already been established. So for the first 11 chapters, Paul, he has been describing the mercies of God. And I want you to notice that it's not mercy singular, but it's mercies. Mercies are things given that are undeserved. They are things that are presented to us. They are applied to us. They are given to us in which we do not deserve. And the text is saying that there are many mercies of God. Paul, he presents God's mercies as his strongest argument for giving ourselves to him. He says, I urge you, Paul said, by the mercies of God to present your bodies to God. So when we recognize what God has done for us through his son Jesus, the only response is to completely give ourselves to him. You see, Jesus, he is the grace giver. He is the dead raiser. He is the only one who can save us. The bad news is we are sinners, and that sin it has deathly consequences. But the good news is that while we are still sinners, Christ, he died for us. He took our place, taking upon himself the consequences and punishment of our sins so that there is now no condemnation for us. We are saved from the fires of hell to the eternal presence of God. This is an act of grace and mercy. This is the ultimate gift. You see, this right here, it should be motivation enough for us to give our whole lives to God. If reflecting on God's mercies doesn't move us, then I think we're in trouble here. Because where would we be without God's love and forgiveness? Where would we be without God's presence in our lives? What kind of hope would we have without him? Let's think about a moment 
uh, for a moment about our current situations, our family, our jobs, uh, our friends, our church. Do we deserve those on merit alone? And so if we are honest with ourselves, we suddenly begin to realize the wonders of God's mercies. Psalms 116.12 puts it this way. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits unto me? You see, he was really at a loss for words here. He didn't know what to give. What shall I give the Lord in response to all of his benefits? Here's the answer. Your life in all its components as a living sacrifice. That is what you give. You commit your all to Jesus. And as a result of the work of Christ on the cross, as a result of the great salvation that has come to us through the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus, we should be moved, we should be motivated, we should be compelled by the staggering mercies of God given to us in Jesus to go and worship him. You see, our motivation, what generates genuine and true worship, is grasping salvation's richness. It's grasping what we have been saved from and what we are saved to and understanding the saving grace that is ours by faith in Christ. We see this soul response in Paul at the end of Romans 11. After expounding on the mercies of God shown to both Jew and Gentile, Paul's soul, it is overflowing with gratitude and praise. In verses 33 through 36, we see him uh, in spontaneous worship. Let me read this for you. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who became his counselor, who was first given to him? that it might be paid back to him again. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. This right here is pure worship, produced in the soul because of an understanding of the mercies of God. So salvation, the saving of the soul, it is the first in making a living sacrifice. The soul, it must be given to God and all the collection of realities connected to salvation. It becomes the motivation for the rest of the sacrifice. Secondly, we see that the body, it must be committed to God. We have to present our bodies to God, right? That's what it says. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So we're talking about the body and all the components of being human. So not just the tangible, but also how you think and how you reason. And this word that we see here, present, it is a temple term. And it means uh, to place a sacrifice on the altar. So in other words, it's saying you're supposed to die to self. Die to your own agenda. Surrender completely to God as a living and holy sacrifice. This type of sacrifice, it speaks of holding nothing back from God. It's giving it all to him in total abandon. And worship, it becomes a lifestyle. Everything we think, everything we do, everything we say, it will be worshipful. And so when you present your body as a living and holy sacrifice, you are putting your life on the line. You are saying to God, not my will, but yours be done. Whatever your will is, God, that is what I want to do. That's what I want for my life. So just like a priest who brings a sacrifice and puts the whole thing on the altar, we as believers, we are called to put our whole body on the altar. And by doing that, you are saying to God, Lord, I give you my soul and I give you my body. I give it as a living sacrifice. 
You see, it's continually offering your body for his purposes, and we offer it as a living and holy sacrifice that is set apart from sin. Romans 6.12, it tells us, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. So we see here that the body, it means more than just the material. It's the immaterial desires and lust as well. And then in verse 13, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God. And so he's talking about the body and all the component parts of your humanity. He's saying don't let any part of your body become a tool for wickedness to be used for sinning. Down in verse 16, the same thing. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? So in other words, you're making a presentation of yourself to obey your master. And then down in verse 19, I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. Just as you presented your members, your bodily members, as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness. Now present your members of slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. Sanctification, it is the result of an active presentation of the soul first and then the body given to God. This idea of sanctification, it is not passive, but it is a command. I urge you to present your bodies. This is an action. You present your body. You surrender your body to God. That is your duty. That is our duty. That is necessary for sanctification. 1 Thessalonians tells us that the will of God is your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel or body in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. And so if you're in here and you have trusted Christ, you call yourself a believer, your sanctification, it is dependent upon you getting a hold of your body and offering it to God. And if we're going to be honest, that is not easy, right? Because the world we live in has so many different pleasures and it's enticing and it's pulling us away from God and we have this sinful nature. But I want you to listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9. I beat my body into submission, lest in preaching to others, I myself would be disqualified. So in Roman culture, they believed in a philosophical dualism where the mind and the, where the, mind and the spirit was good and noble and it was elevated, but the body, it was unimportant. The body, it was basically evil, and you let the body do whatever the body did, and it was unconsequential, uh, inconsequential, but that is unacceptable to God. And Paul, he is giving the message, a message to the Romans that's going to go against the grain of their philosophy. You see, God, he doesn't just want your uh, spirit and mind, but he wants your body as a sacrifice offered to him in holiness. Now, for God to say that I want not just your soul, I want your body wholly given to me as a sacrifice is essentially the foundation of all sanctification. It's an act that demands we beat our bodies into submission. Now, every time we hear this language of sacrifice and offering to God, it pulls the body in as well as the soul. So what does it mean to offer yourself to God to be a living sacrifice? It means that you give your soul and you give your body. And this back to Romans 12, this is acceptable to God. That is pleasing to God. It is satisfactory to God. Arrestus is the verb here, and it has the idea of good. It's the right thing. It is well-pleasing, and it is completely acceptable to God. 
You see, God, he will not be satisfied to have the soul given to him and then have the body withheld. You see, God, he is only satisfied when the soul followed by the body offered to him. And notice, uh, this is your spiritual worship, spiritual service of worship. Worship, it is the word latreia. And it's used here in Hebrews 9, 6 of priests who are performing worship in the service of God. But it's used here of the believer in Christ. This is your priestly duty as a priest before God to offer yourself and notice that this is your spiritual service of worship. Spiritual is the word logikos, which we get from logic. And so this is logical, right? This makes sense because in your salvation, you declared God as your ruler. You declared Christ as your uh, Lord, as your master, as your savior. And now this is your responsibility to come and worship him and to offer not only your soul, but your body as a living sacrifice. You see, living, it implies life. Life is an everyday experience and offering ourselves to God is not something that should be contained within a 60 minute worship service. A living sacrifice is a sacrifice that is alive and it is continuous in action. This means that worship, uh, it doesn't just occur here in this sanctuary, but in every area of our lives, in our whole world. This means that worship, it moves away from just this hour to all hours of our lives. It moves away from just one activity of coming to church on Sunday to worship to all of our activities. Each relationship, each task, each uh, opportunity, each problem, each success, each failure. You see, worship is not just a church activity. It is a life activity. Worship is not just a sometime thing. It is an all-the-time occurrence. And if we view worship as an activity that's limited to Sunday, then we have grossly misunderstood it. Because true worship, it is not an event. It is a lifestyle. So in other words... Let every act of your living body be an act of worship. Let every act of your living body demonstrate that God, he is your treasure. Let every act of your living body show that Christ, he is more precious to you than anything else. Let every act of your living body be death to all that dishonors Christ. And so we've seen that the soul, uh, first, that the soul must be committed to God. That is the foundation of the sacrifice. Next is the body. And lastly, we see that the mind must be committed to God. Now, I want you to understand that these are all interconnected. If you don't give your mind to God, you're not going to be able to sustain giving your body to God. After we have been saved, we might present our bodies as a living sacrifice, and it might happen for a while, but eventually, how you think will take over what you do with your body. That is the way it is, right? As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. So we have to understand that the mind, it is critical. If you don't program your mind correctly, the body, it will come off that altar. So how do we deal with the mind? The text tells us. It says, don't be conformed to this world. World is literally age, referring to this present evil age that is passing away in contrast to the coming eternal age in which righteousness dwells. In Galatians 4, uh, 1, 4 through 5, Paul says that Christ, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of God our Father, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. So you see, Christ, he did not come or die to leave us to be conformed to this present evil age, but he came to rescue us from it so that in turn our lives would go and glorify him. 
We know that God, he has permitted this present age to be under Satan's dominion. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So the change that we need to make is to live in distinct contrast to this evil age. You see, the world is the instrument that Satan uses to promote his goals and his aims and his ends and his ambitions, and he is relentless about that. So if you're going to present your body as a living sacrifice to God, you're going to have to make sure that your mind, which dictates how your body functions, is not completely absorbed into this world system. Uh, The whole world, as 1 John 5.19 puts it, lies in the lap of the evil one. So all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is of the world, and it is passing away. But if you are in Christ, I want to remind you this morning that you have been transformed. You have been removed from the world, out of the kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of light. And because of that, you are now to present your body. But in order to keep presenting your body, you're going to have to reprogram the way your mind thinks. And you have to reprogram it away from the corruption of this evil age. We cannot be conformed to it. We cannot be fashioned like this evil age, but on the other hand, the scripture tells us we are to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. You see, it's the metamorphosis of your mind. It's the uh, transformation of your mind. It's the process of a caterpillar transforming into a butterfly. And the verb that is used here for transformation, it's also used at the transfiguration where Christ, who was man, who was transfigured into glorious form, where his divine glory shined through his human flesh. And this is what God wants to happen in your life. He does not want you to be pressured into fitting in with the world. Rather, he wants the indwelling presence of Christ to change you from the inside out. We need to be transformed in the glorious form where your outward image, who you are, it must come from heaven and not hell. It has to come from Christ and not the world. And so New Covenant, if we are to live our lives for God, then we must have renewed minds. We have to change the way that we think. We need to abandon the old ways of thinking that was ruled by our flesh, and we are to adopt the ways of Christ. So instead of being conformed, Paul instructs us to be transformed. And there's this contrast here between something pressing in on us from the outside that causes us to be transformed and something taking place on the inside that causes us to be transformed. So where inside is this taking place? It's in our minds. And what is happening in our minds? They are being renewed. There is a renovation project going on. The word that Paul uses for the renewal of our minds is literally, it literally means to renovate. It's to rip out the old and put in the new. And the one who is doing the renovation is the Holy Spirit. But that doesn't mean that we don't have work to do, right? The tool that the Holy Spirit uses is the word of God. New Covenant, we must bring ourselves under the influence of the Word of God. And as the Word of God pours over us, the Spirit will use it to accomplish its cleansing, its renewing, renovation, work in our minds, and our minds will begin to uh, work correctly. Our thoughts will align more closely to God's thoughts. Our ways of, of valuing things will align more closely to the way God values things. And in this way, we will grow in our ability to know what God wants. 
The world, as you know, it seeks to press us and shape us and conform us into its mold. And we have two options. We can either simply give in, we can be shaped by the world around us, or we can choose to resist. We can choose to be shaped by the word of God. And as we take it in, as we think it through and live it out, the word of God, it is going to change us in profound and pleasant ways. Here's what I'll close with this morning. Committing your all to Jesus is the only logical response to all that he has done for us. For nothing less than time, talents, desires, possessions could even begin to show our appreciation for his willingness to purchase us from the wrath that we deserve for sinning against him. And since we are to be living sacrifices, we are to offer the Lord everything that we have and everything that we are. You see, God, he doesn't just want parts of you. He doesn't want partial commitment, but he wants every area of your life. He wants total commitment so that no area of your life is outside of his lordship. And so as we move into this new year, uh, 2024, let's commit our all to Jesus. Let's commit every single day to offer ourselves to be living sacrifices, to be used for his glory and for the growth of his kingdom. Amen. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you so much for this time. And God, I pray for every single um, individual here and online, God, that by your mercy, by your grace and the gospel, you would receive our bodies as a living sacrifice. Uh, God, that we lay our lives, our lives down on the altar before you. Right now, God, we are yours. Lord, would you make us holy? Would you make us acceptable to you? Make us righteous and pleasing to you. This morning, we offer not just our songs and, and worship, God, as worship. We offer our lives as worship. And we pray, God, that we will be changed by it. Do not let us be conformed to this world, God, but let us be transformed by the renewing of our mind. God, may Romans 12, 1 and 2 be a description of our lives. We love you so much, Jesus. We thank you. It's your name and everyone said. Amen. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us.